Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 71, The Mark of Gideon. Welcome into another jam-packed edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. A very, very uh, crowded, a so-I-can-hardly-see-who-I-am edition of Mission Log. I'm Ken Ray, by the way. And I'm Sean Champion. Each week, we investigate, intellectualize, interpolate, and interchange ideas related to Star Trek. And we do mean all of Star Trek episode by episode until the bitter end. This week... John, I can't see you, but I sense you got something on you there. Hang on one second. Oh, oh, I got it. It's the Mark of Gideon. And I, that's actually a little cream cheese in the bagel I was eating. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's very easy to confuse. Mark of Gideon, cream cheese on your face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get it. Now, now yeah. I'm hungry. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Are we done? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, time to go eat. Uh, but that, that is the episode, indeed, the mark of Gideon as we uh, headlong dive into the end of season three of the original series. Um, but Ken, before we get to that, and before even we get to the story, do you mind if I share a little trivia with you? John, I would be bothered if you didn't. All right. Well, this episode was written by Cyrano Jones. Well, no, actually, it's not Cyrano Jones. It was written by Stanley Adams, the actor who played Cyrano Jones. This was after a conversation he had with Gene Roddenberry while shooting The Trouble of the Tribbles. And this was kind of a uh, a pet topic of his, uh, overpopulation, which we'll discuss how that plays into the episode a little later. So he is actually given a story credit on this. Now, Adams was born in 1915. He had a decent career in character roles, um, not only Cyrano Jones, but also that uh, giant carrot in Lost in Space, if you remember that. Um, and apparently he actually consulted with his son on the idea for Mark of Gideon, but neither of them was particularly happy about the outcome. Um, and on an unrelated note, he actually took his own life in 1977, so uh, no credits for him after that point. Now, the co-writer was George F. Slavin, who had a pretty robust career as a writer in TV and science fiction. And now you may be asking me, Ken, who was Gideon? You know, John, I was just about to. Well, there you go. So Gideon is a Hebrew word meaning destroyer or mighty warrior. Uh, He was the one who, on God's command, destroyed the statue of the other god, Baal. You may remember that. Uh, He freed the Israelites after another period of subjugation, then led them away from worshiping the false gods. Uh, There was a lot of this back then, you know. Um, And after one of his battles, uh, the Israelites asked him to be king. But just like the Lone Ranger, he turned down their reward. Uh, You can catch up on all of that in the Book of Judges. Um, Sharon Acker played Odana. And uh, she's a Canadian actress, primarily known for TV. Uh, She has a few genre credits here and there, like Mission Impossible and Galactica 1980. David Hurst plays the Gideon Ambassador. He's primarily a stage actor. He's born in Austria. His TV credits also include Mission Impossible. And he did uh, The Monkees, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., and that's just The M Shows. 
Now, uh, this was the fourth of five episodes directed by Judd Taylor. He did an enormous amount of TV movies in the 1970s, and uh, we will catch up with his last Star Trek offering very soon. A race of xenophobes seeking admittance to the Federation will only deal with one guy, the captain of the galaxy's premier starship. What could possibly go wrong? Prologue. The Enterprise is orbiting the planet Gideon, which is about to enter the Federation of Planets, though perhaps against its will. Negotiations have been slow because Gideon has refused any sort of Federation delegation and any sort of monitoring by censors. Finally, though, they agree to a delegation of one, Captain James T. Kirk. Spock beams Kirk down, making the exact coordinates of the Gideon Council Chamber extremely clear with Lieutenant Uhura. But there seems to be a problem. Kirk rematerializes in the transporter room. And there's no one there. In fact, there seems to be no one on the Enterprise. And no one responds to Kirk's calls for contact. Still orbiting Gideon, Kirk is alone on the Enterprise. Act 1. Kirk continues to investigate the Enterprise. After an exploration of the whole ship, he surmises that the entire crew has disappeared. Also, he seems to be missing a few minutes of memory, and he has a weird bruise on his arm. Aboard the Enterprise... Hey, what? Aboard the Enterprise, Lieutenant Uhura tells Commander Spock that they are receiving a call from Gideon. Ambassador Hoden is calling Kirk to say, Are you coming or what? Spock tells Hoden that Kirk beamed down, but Hoden says he never arrived. Spock confirms the council chamber coordinates as Hoden starts playing the blame game. This is totally your fault, Enterprise. You or your equipment. Spock gets it, and now he'd like permission to beam down to look for Kirk. That's a non-starter. Hoden reminds Spock of Gideon's jealous tradition of isolation from all contaminating contacts with the violent nature of planets of other star systems. Well, they seem like a perfect candidate for the United Federation of Planets. Spock says such violence is a thing of the past, but Hoden says, whatever, tell you what, we'll look down here for Kirk, you look into your machinery, Hoden out. McCoy argues that they have to do something, but with the planet shielded, sensors will not work, so they wouldn't know where to beam down to start looking, so there's really nothing they can do. Spock tells Uhura to let Starfleet know what's up and ask for permission to pursue whatever means are at their disposal to search for Kirk. Aboard Kirk's version of the Enterprise, the captain meets Odana, an attractive blonde with some sort of memory issues. She knows her name, but not where she's from, nor how she got there. In fact, she wants to know why Kirk brought her there. Funny you should ask, what are you doing on my ship? Kirk explains that the Enterprise is not his property, but he is her captain. And there are usually people, but now it seems to be just them. Odana has no idea how she got there. Just vague memories of some place where there are too many people. Way too many people. She was fighting to get out. And all of a sudden, there she was on the Enterprise. No clue how long she's been there, nor how she got there. And she's never heard of Gideon. Kirk says that has to be her planet, but she thinks not. Kirk tries to show it to her on the view screen, but they're no longer orbiting Gideon. Back on Spock's Enterprise, Starfleet says Spock will have to take the issue around Gideon up with the Federation, while the Federation says he'll have to take it up with Starfleet. And be sure to file those forms in triplicate. Act 2. Hoden has gotten back in touch with Spock. Nope, no captain here, so don't bother trying to look here, so... Bye... Spock and Hoden spar over what Spock wanted. He wanted to look for Kirk himself, not just take Hoden's word for it. 
This is an exercise in diplomacy with an equal helping of futility. When Hoden demands clarity, the bridge crew argues to Spock that Hoden is obfuscating. Hoden discounts their arguments by completely ignoring them, telling Spock that there was noise that drowned out his communication. Spock apologizes for the noise. For clarity's sake, he would like to come down and look for Kirk himself. Tell you what, says Hoden, beam one of my guys up first. Let's see if that works. Spock accepts. Coordinates communicated. Scotty beams the Gideon council member up. All works fine, and Spock says he's ready to beam down. Ah, no, says Hoden. Probably shouldn't have said you could do that. My bad. Bye. Hoden out. Spock has the man from Gideon beamed back. He also has Uhura call Starfleet again for permission to beam down to Gideon, whether Gideon wants them there or not. Meanwhile, on his own almost private Enterprise, Kirk's still trying to get in touch with someone. Anyone. Kirk takes the ship out of warp. He'd like to slow things down until he knows what's going on. And suddenly Kirk seems to be falling for Odana. Odana likes their aloneness. She'd like that to last forever. Kirk says most people are afraid to be alone, but Adana says where she comes from, people dream of it. Why, asks Kirk, are people of Gideon like that? This angers Adana. She doesn't know where she's from. So why do they dream of being alone? Because there are too many of them. There is literally no place where she's from that's not covered with people. No place. They would kill to be alone. And they would die for it. If they could. Kirk asks who sent her, though she says no one commands her. Has she come to kill, he asks, or has she come to die? She does not know. She just knows she's happy. And they start making out. And then, unseen by the canoodling couple, there are a bunch of creepy people watching them from the view screen. Act 3. Hey, did they just, um... Have they... Well, the happy couple is wandering the Enterprise. Kirk says he'd like a medical kit to take care of his bruise, though it will heal without it. Suddenly, Kirk hears a noise. Odana thinks it could be the ship's engines, or a storm, maybe. But Kirk thinks not. It's coming from outside the ship. They go to a viewport, and whoa! Creepy people! Lots of them! And then just stars. Odana wants to know what's going on. Then the noise stops. Kirk says it sounded like the heartbeat of all those people. But they're out in space. Odana thinks that they might be going crazy. Kirk thinks someone might be making them think that they're crazy. To keep them content. Hey, content! That sounds good, says Odana. Which angers Kirk. She must be in on it. Suddenly, Odana takes ill. Kirk reminds her that there's no sickness on her planet, though a smiling Odana says, Now there will be. And there will be death. All of this is watched on the view screen by the Gideon Council. Outside the chamber window, creepy people, lots of them, pressed against each other and milling about aimlessly. Kirk is carrying a collapsed Adana to sickbay, but he's greeted in the hall by Hoden. Hey, thanks for making my daughter sick. Seriously, my daughter. And seriously, we are grateful for your illness. Hoden takes Adana off Kirk's hands, then tells the guards to guard Kirk well. They'll need him for a long time. Act 4. Starfleet tells Spock that it cannot override the Federation's command to back off searching Gideon. On Kirk's Enterprise, Hoden and Odana talk over her impending death. He says she'll eventually lose her senses, though she says she would like to see Kirk before that happens. They also talk over the pain she's feeling. 
You know the despair you feel when you realize that people have no hope, Father? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Outside her room, Kirk says he would like to see Odana. Hoden says no. Kirk says she needs to be treated or she might die. Hoden says, don't worry, she will die. Compliments of a disease we got from your blood, hence the bruise. Sorry about that. Kirk argues that Hoden is mad, though he says no, they're desperate. On the bridge, Spock decides he has to violate orders of both Starfleet and the Federation. Running the coordinates given to the ship earlier, Spock realizes they do not match. And now he knows where to beam down. Alone. He cannot let anyone else violate Starfleet and Federation orders. Spock beams down to the other, Enterprise. In the council chamber, Kirk is calling Hoden out for Gideon having lied to the Federation. Where is this paradise of which they spoke? Hoden says it totally used to be that. No germs. People flourished in their physical and spiritual perfection. Death became pretty much a thing of the past. But the population grew and grew and grew, and now jankies. There are just so many people everywhere. People who can find no rest, no peace, no joy. So why not use some of the new techniques to sterilize men and women, asks Kirk. Hoden says that wouldn't work since every organ renews itself. So how about blocking conception? The Federation knows how to do that and could help. But the people of Gideon have always believed that life is sacred, that the love of life is the greatest gift. This is the one unshakable truth of Gideon, and this overwhelming love of life has developed our regenerative capacity and our great longevity. Also your crappy living condition, says Kirk. Touché. Still, we are who we are. We are incapable of destroying or interfering with the creation of that which we love so deeply. Life in every form, from fetus to developed being, it is against our tradition, against our very nature. We simply could not do it. So how do they explain letting Odana die? Well, they're trying to readjust the life cycle of an entire population. And she volunteered. Where do you plan to get the virus you need, asked Kirk. Hoden says, uh, they were hoping that Kirk would stay and deliver that. But Kirk says, no way. He's got stuff to do. And he'd like to do it with Odana. He'd like to do the stuff with Odana, that is. She's getting close to loss of senses, by the way, and she's asking for Kirk. He should go see her. Spock, meanwhile, is still wandering around the mock Enterprise. He's identified it as a non-working duplicate. Rather than using one of the built-in communicators, he uses the one in his pocket. Kirk pleads with Hoden to let him cure Odana. Even if she lives, he argues, they'll have the disease they need from her blood. But Hoden argues that her death will give the people of Gideon hope. Then people will volunteer to get sick, and Gideon will return to the paradise it once was. Odana wakes to see Kirk. He pleads with her to let him make her well so they can be together forever. She says she'd like that, but she cannot. Then she passes out. Spock finally finds Hoden and Odana. Kirk tells Spock to have Scotty beam Kirk, Spock, and Odana to the Enterprise. Aboard the Enterprise, Odana is cured. She says Kirk should be angry, but he's not. He says she could stay with him. She says he could come with her. They do, of course, go their separate ways. The end. Well done, Ken. Well done. Whatever. <laughs> you got something to say? Say it, dude. Uh, well, I, I, I got a few things to say about this episode. All right, go um, for it. You know, I, I'll start out with uh, with one note that I took, which is that, uh, you know, the, the Gideons have been avoiding a delegation from the Federation for a very, very long time. So why do we keep banging on their door? 
why either they've got some really sweet dilithium on their planet yeah or or something but again it's like you know knock 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 no we don't want any okay but we're coming back next week no i still don't want any yeah i'm not sure Um, what it is that makes anybody think that these guys are actually you know federation material and it's yeah, not, right. we don't really look, it doesn't seem to me that we're looking for a lot from the Federation. If you could try not blowing up other planets, that would be great. Yeah. And also if we could just stop in. I mean, this is really all it takes to be part of the Federation, it seems. And, yeah. you know, you have to have uh, warp capacity. Speaking of which, if you've got, so if you've got a warp drive, you've got a spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah you do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, but there's the answer <laughs> to yeah. the problems on Gideon. Yeah. I think there's actually something else about this episode. I I, I kind of want to back up just to the very beginning of the whole thing. I seem to remember sure. saying, I believe sometime when we were covering the first season, I don't know where we got this, you know, whole idea of love him and leave him girl on every planet girl in every episode idea of Kirk mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. three. It is season three, like straight up. I mean, well, just, ev- uh, just almost every episode, it's like, oh, look, somebody for Kirk to fall in love with. I wonder if he will. Wow, that didn't take long. <laughs> There's a lot of it in season three, although, but we we introduced it really. The the most glaring introduction of it was in Gamesters of Triskelion. Um, eh, yes, I guess, but I mean, it feels like it's been just more and more. Maybe it's just as yeah, yeah. as the series, as the original series progresses. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's not yeah. season three as much as just. It's definitely not season one because this was a tortured young man yeah. in season one. Right. Oh, I would like to be in love, but I can't because I got this thing with the ship and look at my yeoman. But I got this thing, and now it's like, yeah, I could live with you, sure. <laughs> Except by the end of the episode, it's going to be like, oh, on second thought. Right. For whatever reason, that's not going to happen. Um, it's been a little while on Star Trek since we got to kick around the idea of the ineffectual bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with no Commodore in sight in this episode, we had the Admiral show up at one point. But uh, I'm glad that Spock and McCoy got their barbs in because I was kind of missing that moment. You know? Yeah. It was actually fairly early. It was Chekhov. It was like, oh, I can't believe we agreed to this. And Spock's like, we didn't. <laughs> right. What are we dumb? Exactly. No, it's the higher ups. It's the, it's the landlubbers. It's the uh, those planet bound so and sos behind their desk pushing what mm-hmm. passes for a pencil in the twenty third century. Right. Right. Uh, which apparently is a pencil because uh, that's the thing that Kirk always <laughs> uses to sign the, uh, oh, the pad right. when it comes around. Yeah. It might be a stylus. It might be. It yeah. Might be. You know, here in the twenty uh, first century, people are putting out styline now for pads. Yep. That look exactly like pencils. Some of them are yes. even called yeah. pencils. It's 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 the most skeuomorphic thing imaginable. Oh so, my gosh. so who no knows weird. what Kirk is actually using? Yeah, um, I found it really touching that uh, Richie Valens would write a song about the uh, guest star character in this show. Oh, Donna! Donna. See, that's I knew, funny. I knew it could count oh, on that's you. That's so funny. It didn't Sing. even occur to me. That's nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think this is really the first time that we've seen the whole transporter coordinates thing. Like, we, we've discussed it. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've heard Scotty talk about it and say, like, oh, I don't want you to materialize in the middle of a rock or a wall or something. But um, I always assumed it was sort of like looking at Google Maps or Apple Maps in 3D. Well, norm- so- normally it would be. But remember, mm-hmm. the entire planet is shielded from sensors. Oh, yeah. They right, actually, they actually right, said yeah. that at one point, that the entire planet's shielded from sensors, so they have to be told exactly where to go. Yeah. Which it feels to me like the Gideons have been doing, you know, since they said nobody can come down. But they, I mean, literally exactly where to go. 
Right. Um, right. Which is why we have that whole, you know, coordinate thing. Mm-hmm. Although, mm-hmm. what was the transposition? Because honestly, after two or three times watching it, I still missed like when they were told the wrong numbers versus the right numbers. Uh, well, you missed it, and apparently Scotty and Spock both missed it as well because it took them, you know, three quarters of the episode to go. Oh, wait a minute! <laughs> They're different okay. numbers. Say your numbers again. Okay, say your numbers again. Okay, wait. I got. Can you say yours again? Okay, do me a favor. Can you both just write it down, and we'll look at it. Oh, look at that! There's a two where the nine should be. Right. Is that okay? So, which one of you gave me the? God, you guys write alike. I still okay. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. Hey, um, I, I got a question. So, yeah. so uh, Spock realizes that he is on a fake Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. And he says it like out yeah, loud, like, in, "Oh, in it's no a time. complete, no time. complete working replica, or except yep. well, not working, but you know, mm-hmm. replica, exact replica of the Enterprise." It's like I'm on a set. It's, it's like, like I'm on a set. It's like he's on the a set. It's like they cleared the, the set in Hollywood, so he yeah. could be there, right? And then Spock starts doing the ship's log, right, <laughs> right, on the fake Enterprise. Uh, I assume on his communicator. Uh, except he wasn't talking into his communicator. Did he uh, do it later? Do you, I mean, because that's the thing. Do they have to yeah. go back later? Because he's actually saying what he's doing as he's doing it. It's like it's like when you film a reality show. Um, <laughs> so so you film all the stuff, and then you get the people back in the studio later. But you tell them, okay, say this thing as if it were happening now, and then you intercut that with the reality show. It's part of the magic of Hollywood. I I'm, know. I'm going to do an inside joke for like. Five people listening. Okay. Frankie goes to Hollywood. I'm looking forward to doing those cutaways. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And if you don't okay. remember what I'm talking about, then I'm sad because you were one of the five people I was counting <laughs> on. <laughs> <sighs> oh, well. Yeah. Question for you. What are all the people of Gideon looking at when the ship's viewer and portholes are closed? Because remember, Kirk opens it and they're just staring straight ahead. They're like, oh, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Oh, you know what they're looking at? Look at all that space. There's just two <laughs> people there. And look at all that space. I wish I could get in. Can I just go in there, please? Mm-hmm. Can I? That's a lot of space. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, speaking of space, you guys know how to get there, says one, you know, enterprising young Gideon. I think I may have solved our problem. Yes, I know. We've already done that. But I think we have to keep coming back to that. I think every three minutes we should just, you know, remind ourselves. So so let me get this straight. There's there's like a there's a there's a federation of planets that wants us to join. That's right. And they have a star fleet. Yes, that's right. A fleet that could take us to the stars. To the stars. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm thinking? No, 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 just shut up. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear it. You, right. you, you, you're one of those leotard wearing people. We don't listen to you. Right. We only listen to the bald guys who, uh, who said also in a great big room with lots of space, huge room. Yeah. Huge yeah. room. But, yeah. but space is apparently an issue, uh, for some people on Gideon. Well, I do like seeing all those shots of the empty enterprise. That's always kind of cool. Um, yeah. we, we got some reuse of stock footage to do that. Um, but it, it's kind of neat just to be able to take in the set. So um, I, I dig that. And, um, well, actually, I mean, can I, as I was watching this, I, I hate to rip off somebody else's bit, but I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, the Mr. Plinkett reviews on uh, Red Letter Media. And uh, a, a lot of times he'll just sort of go through a list of questions. But that's kind of what I did watching this episode. I just sat there and I wrote down questions that cannot and probably should not be answered. Like, 
how did they build a giant replica starship? Whose idea was it to waste the time and space to build a giant replica spaceship? Why didn't they just say, you can beam down, but only if you bring someone who has meningitis? Couldn't they just order up a Petri dish full of the bacteria that causes meningitis? And while you're at it, couldn't you pick a less painful, debilitating way to die? Does everyone on Gideon get to hang out in their giant model starship once the real <laughs> Enterprise has gone away? Why didn't we just send down some red shirts once the captain was missing? Are they unable to leave Gideon? Where do they sleep? Where do they get their food? Could they not build up? Do they have spaceships of their own? Why not leave? The Gideon council chamber seems to be pretty roomy. Couldn't they fit a few more citizens in there? They turn down birth control. Is the problem on Gideon not overpopulation, but more their inability to control their libidos? It just goes on and on, Ken. I think um, the answer, uh, weirdly, the answer to most of those questions is yes. Not to belabor it, but how did the Gideons learn enough about the inside of the Enterprise to make one that would so totally fool Kirk? As John said, it seems their time might have been better spent building a high rise. purpose of diplomacy is to prolong a crisis. That is wisdom from Spock. I have to say that this, to me, is kind of a, a change in Spock's character, the, this episode here, because um, I, I really have to respect Spock's pragmatism in The Mark of Gideon. You know, he's always pragmatic and logical, but we've also seen him obey the letter rather than the spirit of the law a little too often. He'll do like one of those self-serving things like, oh, I'm not going to help Sarek because I have to be on the bridge. Too bad, dad. <laughs> um, but here he's willing to put his neck out on the line for Kirk. And he takes swipes at the chain of command, the org chart, if you will, when it displeases him. I think that this is uh, I think this is a moment for Spock. I really do. Well, it's a moment for Spock if it's a moment that is continued through the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. It's a moment in this episode, you're right. And we've certainly yeah. seen Kirk do that. There was some time recently where they were getting on the uh where they were getting on the lift, I remember, and he's like not even under his breath, but just like eh, a bunch of bunch of, you know, jerks, a bunch of people at Starfleet just making their rules and making their decisions and they don't get it. Right. Um, maybe some of that's worn off on Spock. It 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 was surprising to hear Spock um, openly sort of deride um, the higher ops because you know mm -hmm. that's well. It, it seems like a break in command to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was pleased with that, and I and I do think that that Spock that that part of Spock will show up again in the future. I really do. So all right, we'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, we have to talk about what the episode is about. Um, please, please, people of Gideon, use birth control. Um, see, here's the thing. I, I, I think that the Gideons don't actually love life. I think they're burdened by it. You know, they, they – Hoden expresses these platitudes about life being precious and blah, blah, blah. But it, but it is absolutely crushing them. Mm -hmm. and, and they can't in that respect see the, the forest for the trees. Um, it's interesting to me that the topic is introduced and then kind of shrugged off with those statements from, from Hoden and Kirk kind of demures at that point. Um, it, it seemed more like it was going to take a turn exploring the ethics of birth control and abortion without actually 
saying it because you can't do that on 1960s TV. Um, but it's an interesting moral conundrum that we have here. Um, he's against birth control, but he is all for allowing Udana to die, to sacrifice herself, to become a martyr, um, to show that he, as the ambassador, as the leader, would would be willing to allow himself or by proxy his daughter carry out a uh, a, a kind of sacrifice. So this to me was the, the interesting moral topic to ponder here, but I felt like we didn't get to ponder it that much. There might, I mean, there might've been an interesting moral topic to ponder. Had you not, I mean, they're kind of, ah. okay, <laughs> so, so this is going to upset somebody. There have been people in recent history as we record this, who will argue that there are particular people of, of uh, either religious or political persuasions who are all about the sanctity of life, you know, until the moment a child is born. Sure. And then after that, it's kind of like, oh, well, gosh, I hope somebody takes care of them because, you know, we're cutting this program and we're taking this, you know, this thing away that might benefit this child that we've been fairly insistent should be born. Okay. Right, right, right. There, I mean, so that's that's kind of a thing that, that Hoden seems to be missing here. That's kind of a thing that Gideon seems to be missing here. The real issue, though, stop doing it. Yeah. Just stop doing it. Or if you can't stop doing it, please wrap that rascal. And, I, and yeah. I'm sorry that I'm being crude here, but I mean, this is really, and I'm not being nearly as crude as I was, I was thinking <laughs> I might be. Basically, Hoden lays it out for Kirk. He's like, okay, so here's our problem. We can't perform, you know, any, any sort of uh, termination of a pregnancy, right. let's say, okay? But we also can't stop doing it. And we like riding bareback because life in all of its forms is totally awesome. But right. there are seriously too many of us here, so we're going to take volunteers to kill ourselves because life is so precious, you see. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's nuts. It is absolutely, the whole thing is an insane argument. Now, it is. what I will say is just stop doing it. Just stop doing it. I mean, that well, really can, is uh, it. Additionally, if life has gotten so disgusting that you would rather die than live yeah. among these people, how are they, like, where are they doing it? And how are they doing it? <laughs> I know. Well, and would yeah. that not be enough to make you say, you know what? I got a headache. From like now on, okay. Well, so, you know they they built 430 rooms for 430 non-existent crewmen on the non-working Enterprise. So <laughs> there's room for 430 <laughs> Gideons to go uh, to go hang out. And as you pointed out, there is plenty of room in the council chamber. Although one wonders mm -hmm. if maybe it doubles as. All right, so you're done with your council meeting, right? Because a thousand of us are tired and would like to go to sleep. Yeah. You know, and this is our bedroom. Plus, 500 of us would apparently like to do it. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll say here's a little a little interesting thing about history. Okay, when the Queen Mary mm -hmm. was sailing from the 30s to the late 60s, um, she had a crew of about 1,300, 1,500 and, and passenger room for about 2,000. During World War II, mm -hmm. she carried 60, that's 60,000 soldiers in one trip. All right. So I'm just saying, you know, bunk beds would go a long way on Gideon <laughs> because they did on the Queen Mary. If, right? they even, if they even have houses. I mean, the only indication yeah. that we have of a building is, well, the council chamber and the enterprise, fake enterprise, mm -hmm. which apparently is built right off of the council chamber. Right. Yeah, it's very, very close. Yeah. Every other time that we see the people, they're just milling about. They're not, yeah. they're not going to work. They're not going home. They're just like, you know, standing around. 
while sort mm-hmm. of sort of shoving against each other. Yeah, that's another mm-hmm. thing. Maybe stand still. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you would feel better, you know, if you just because you're going to bump into people if you keep moving around. You're going to bump. You're going to breathe their air. Yep, you're going to spend calories and you got to eat. And I apparently mean, that's going to turn you on. Speaking, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of, um, of, of, of topics that we sort of skirted but didn't address. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to laugh during the uh, the recap, but when Kirk says, "So why don't you sterilize the men and women?" Oh, I yeah. honestly thought that we might we might be going it, like in a really dark direction, <laughs> just for a minute, uh, sort of a eugenicsy, sort of a uh, you know, sort of a well, sort of a you know, fresh off the heels of World War II kind of uh, question of uh, you know having how to solve uh, the problem that they were having. Which, yeah. I, which I realized, you know, pretty soon after, because of the conversation, the way the conversation turned, he wasn't. He was talking about um, chemical contraception. He was talking. Mm-hmm. He was talking about the pill, or right. you know, well, actually, he said for men and women. So he was talking about you know the elusive pill for men as well. Right. Um, yeah, it was just kind of it was kind of weird, and yet you know there there are really just a billion. And I'm not saying that would be a good solution for any planet. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's mm-hmm. kind of stunning how Gideon. Pretty much came up with this one solution and still kind of a convoluted way. I mean, as you said in the list of rhetorical questions, is there really no place that they could just order meningitis? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no because because, yeah, we're going to so we're going to build a replica of the ship to fool this one guy, but we're going to yeah. knock him out for nine minutes anyway. Yeah, I mean, they, they could just have just steal what we need. Yeah. Invited him down, sat him down in the uh, council chair and say, hey, Kirk. Nice to meet you. Uh, can we have a blood sample, please? <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. You know, uh, just to prove that you're you. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, whatever. Or, I mean, knock him out. Just go ahead and knock him out like they did and take mm-hmm. it and then, you know, beam him back up to his enterprise. Yeah. It, send him back. Oops. Sorry about the bruise on your arm. Thanks for stopping by. See ya. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I had another thought. You could actually introduce the people of Gideon to the people of Iminiar, uh, who had perfected thinning out their own population by having a computer-driven war <laughs> with their neighboring planet. And that seemed very, you know, at the time, it seemed like a horrible idea. Now, after watching Mark of Gideon, I think it's a great idea. No, it's still a horrible idea. There, is, there, there are two solutions. There are two solutions to this, two, mm-hmm. two humane solutions. Yeah. Uh, contraception. Yep. Or stop doing it. Well, here's the thing, Ken. As we know from our 20th century history, abstinence-only education doesn't work. Um, so uh, they, they have a long, long road ahead of them to, uh, to make that happen. Because apparently the Gideons have very, very high libidos. I guess. So. There's, you know, it's actually a weird thing. It reminded me of um, – I guess it was in some of the early robot novels. Well, mm-hmm. not the very early robot novels, but the ones – well, maybe it was the very early. It's been a long time since I've read them. But um, Gideon's other option, I mean, there is a third option since we're talking about Star Trek, since we're talking about the far future, since we're talking about science mm-hmm. fiction. Get off Gideon. I mean, that's the yeah, other possibility. Yeah, go away. Yeah. Now, there is an interesting thing here. Um, from the Asimov novels, uh, people on pretty much the overcrowded Earth still did the deed, if, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. They got, they got up to the devil's business, if you, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. They did it. <laughs> I think I got it, Kevin. If you know what I mean, they had carnal knowledge. They, oh, okay. uh, they uh, beast with two backs. Is that? Yeah, uh, that's that's something. That, although that's a little that's a little crass, John. Gah. <laughs> um, where people had planets with lots of space, though, they kind of got icked out by human contact. 
I mean, there's sort of like a, like a, I don't know. I mean, I'm always confused by the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder, familiarity breeds contempt kind of thing, because both in that Asimov novel and certainly here on Gideon, where people can't move, they also can't stop uh, uh, grooving, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's an odd sort of thing. And I guess we even see that here, don't we? I mean, there are some countries that are really overpopulated and still they keep overpopulating. I guess it's just I guess it's just a thing people do. So let's say you, you let's say the federation establishes ties with them and we can start depopulating the planet Gideon. You you move uh, 100 here, 1000 there and uh, you drop some off at like uh, say Vulcan. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think Sarek is really going to be happy with a hundred Gideon neighbors all of a sudden? He's going to be like, yeah, all they're doing is just trying to make more Gideons, you know? Um, that might be that might be uncomfortable. Wow, uh, where you are, you are you are getting close to a whole other thing that we're uh, well, a whole other debate that is sometimes had here in the twenty first century. But let's 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 not do that one today. Okay, we'll do it another time. Hey, uh, but I do want to talk about something here because, uh, as I mentioned in the trivia, the idea of population control and population growth was something that intrigued Stanley Adams and thus intrigued Gene Roddenberry as they they had this discussion. And it's kind of an intriguing topic to me as well. And how we approach that um, at the current recording, Earth has over 7 billion people on it. Um, I forget what the estimates are before we reach 8 billion people. Uh, But we live on a planet with finite resources and assuming not room to build a uh, a fake starship uh, when those resources are precious um, and a population that grows exponentially. So, you know, you, you have to wonder what are the things that we can achieve? Uh, what are the problems that we could avert if we don't overpopulate the planet? Uh, but then how do we instill that idea? Because you have many competing factors, economic, religious, political, etc. Um, I remember reading a long time ago, I can't remember what book it was, but this is sometime when I was, uh, I, I want to say it was like in the early 80s or something. I read in a book about um, the present population of the United States at that time. So let, let's just say in the early 80s, it was under 300 million. Right. And then they projected that by the year 2000 or maybe 2010, that it would be 400 million or so. And they were pretty, pretty accurate. They were, they were pretty right. Uh, about where we are today, as no, far as I recall. Well, no, not with those numbers, they weren't. No, we're not to 400 million yet. No, we're not. But yeah, We're not close but, to 400 million yet. I think we're, we're, like, I think we're three, like 330. 330, okay. As we right. record. As we record. People may but, be listening 50 years from now going, man, there were only 330 million know, people. Right, right, oh, right. wow. <laughs> the salad <laughs> days, they called them. But the, the point of the book was to... Uh, or the, this chapter of the book was to say that if the population growth continues on that same trajectory in the U.S. alone, and if we want to maintain the same kind of population density that we had in the United States in the early 80s, um, you would have to build something like 50 cities the same size as San Francisco all over the country. You, you would just have to 
constantly crank out these cities to allow that kind of room for people to go and not be absolutely crushed. Um, now, we, we kind of do that by the suburban sprawl and the expansion of existing cities. But I can tell you, you know, being in a city like Los Angeles, that is a city that it, it expands exponentially constantly, <laughs> you know, until most of Southern California will just be the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. Um, so I, it, this is a, a fascinating thing to me to wonder where we will be in 25 years, 50 years, 100 years, given how quickly the U.S. population grows and then how quickly the population grows in other countries. You know, we're outpaced right now by China, I believe. But then you have a decrease in population in parts of Western Europe. I believe the UK uh, was facing some problems with a dropping population because then all of a sudden you have a lot of an older population, uh, you know, retiree age and very few young people to sort of keep the country working, keep the economy going. So um, it's a big, massive, nasty ball of wax that uh, has to be dealt with and uh, – Ken, I don't have the answers, but I'm just throwing it out there. Well, I got two. Yeah? I, either we get off this planet or... Um, <laughs> yeah, well... Time to upload. I mean, that's it. That, I mean, that's yeah, really, yeah. I know you make fun of me, and that's fine. One day, friend, a thousand <laughs> years from now, I'll, I'll sift through all the people, find your grave, and laugh my hollow robotic laugh. <laughs> <laughs> This episode never addressed the issue of resources, did it? What passes for a food on Gideon? Who makes their clothes? Do you have to pay for movie tickets? Or can you just sneak in with every other person on the planet? Time now to do that thing that we do where we uh, suss up, suss out, try to figure out, sum up, and do one of those things. The episode that we watched today, uh, figure out the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether or not the whole thing stands the test of time. Uh, the mark of Gideon, John, what sort of mark does it leave for you? <laughs> uh, so, you know what, Ken, I have said before um, on this very show how I sometimes compare Star Trek to the Twilight Zone. And this is another one of those times where there is kind of that creepy, cool factor of a duplicate, empty enterprise. You know, that, that to me is a sort of an undeniably cool thing about this. The floating heads watching Kirk, ooh, also creepy, also cool. Um, but there seems that, that there was a lot that could have been done with this, this episode, but it's just got severe pacing and plot hole problems all over it. Um, the, the idea at its core, the idea that we would take on um, overpopulation, birth control, uh, uh, all, all of this stuff, e even like a, a right to die, that we would take on these important topics is great. But then we just never get there. And it's sort of the reason I say Twilight Zone is sort of like, well, we introduced the twist, but then so what? I, I've got another hour of TV show to watch other than the twist. And it frankly just doesn't hold up that well. So it's a misfire. It's not entirely painful because of the few creepy cool moments in it. But um, 
Ken, I'm not feeling it. How about you? It's interesting, actually. You just mentioned one that we didn't even address, the whole right to die thing. Because mm-hmm. Adana has decided that for herself and for her population. And Kirk and Spock won't have it. They pull yeah. her out of there. They pull her out of there and they save her life, whether she wants her life saved or not. Which is kind of interesting. Maybe we should yeah. have talked about that last segment, but we're past it now, so forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I've got a question to to wrap it up. At, what? And you know, well, and that's to say, is is Hoden morally right? You, you know, he is making the decision. Odana is going along with it. She she is. We assume uh, of her full mental faculties. She knows what she's doing. Right. But but it's really Hoden who is the leader here. Oh, come on. Yes, Hoden is the leader there. But, I mean, you, you can't say she's just going along with it. You're reading stuff that's not there. She said that she's chosen to do it, and there's no indication. She never once said to Kirk, well, I don't want to do this, but I have to. I mean, no, she's no, actually I, kind I, of stoked. I, I understand. But but uh, Hoden is still the person in charge. He he is allowing this. He who holds life so precious. Right is the one who is allowing this to happen to set an example. Right. You know, so is that morally right? And, and I... No, morally right is stop doing it. Morally right is get off yeah. the planet. I mean, we, exactly. we've talked about what's morally right. And yeah, okay, so does the episode hold up? It's got some interesting things to it. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of interesting to me that we never actually... That Kirk isn't mad at Odana because she's played him all the way along. I mean, think oh, yeah. think about that. Everything that she has told him is a lie. I mean, she, she's described Gideon, but then she's lied about not knowing where she's from. She's lied about not knowing how long she's been there. She's lied about not knowing why she's there. And she's lied point blank and say, you know, she's not from Gideon. Oh, I don't know where I'm from, but I know I'm not from there. Well, it turns out, yes, she is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yet Kirk's like, ah, but you're so pretty. I, you know, I wish I could stay with you forever, even though our entire relationship has been built. You know, the 30 minutes of it has been built on a lie. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's a little troubling. I like the whole alternate um, Enterprise thing. It was it was fun not knowing what was happening there for a mm-hmm. while. I mean, certainly we sort of suspected that Hoden was in on it. We kind of have to because he was so, well, don't look here. Look wherever mm-hmm. you want to, but you know, check your machines. But I looked here, and, and he's definitely not here, so don't look here. Nice. Okay, we pretty much know that, okay, well, he's there. Yeah. But you know, the whole time that Kirk's walking around sort of like not knowing what's going on, and then you know when Kirk has to accept the fact that maybe they're being driven mad by somebody outside, that's kind of neat. Um, it's a bit more than we normally get from Kirk. I mean, he's actually, he's confused and willing to explore that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they're going crazy. Maybe they're being driven crazy. Maybe something happened to the crew. Uh, usually Kirk will just decide whatever. And of course he ends up being right. Cause he's Kirk. Right. Um, so eh, that part was kind of fun. I found the logic of, 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 of Gideon's argument. Absolutely frustrating. Yeah. I mean, just, just to the point of being stupid. Now, I have family members who might watch this episode and go, yeah, what should Gideon do? <laughs> you know, and that's and so so, you know, you and I are coming at this from a very different place than other people watching this might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I would be surprised when other people will write to us and say, you know, I, I feel certain we're going to get some hate mail on this. It seems to me that that what Gideon should do is completely logical. 
mm-hmm. they are locked into whatever you know mindset that they're locked into for whatever reason and and don't even entertain the possibility of getting themselves out of it in any way except that you know they have to die yeah and that's that i mean no that that's a that's a silly idea at the same time forgive me for stepping way out of the timeline um Picard and Riker, well, Riker would. Picard would never pull Odana off that planet. Mm. The, 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 mm-hmm. the, the prime directive would not allow anybody to pull that off the planet. If Spock had remembered his whole prime directive thing, he never would have let Kirk beam her off that planet. Because they've decided what they've decided, right? Well, uh, the, the, I, I don't know. I, I'd argue the point just to say that, okay, the, the, the prime directive in some respect is out the window here because they are a a technologically advanced society that has had contact with the federation this is just a delegation and and at that point do we have some moral obligation to help them with whatever their problem is even as stubborn as and and as awful see, as their see, this is the other issue though how are they helping them because now odana says well no you see i would love to come with you captain kirk i will miss you captain kirk but my place mm-hmm. is here because now i have the virus that can kill all of these people that's why her place is there she's not there because she's going to get them off the planet she's there because hey guess what that illness that we wanted we got it now so thanks bye Mm-hmm. I mean, th- they're still going to go about what they're going to go about. It's just that the one whose name we know, or one of the two whose names we know, or three, I guess. There was also Craddock or whatever his right. name was. One of the three that w- whose name we know is not going to die. So we save the pretty one. That's great. But she's got the disease. And, and so they're they're going to go ahead and do what they were going to do, it seems. Cool thing about it, it did one of the things that we love for it to do. It gave us a lot to talk about. Yeah. Did it solve anything? No. Am I happy with their thinking process? Not really. No. <laughs> um, is it particularly entertaining? No, but we've definitely seen worse. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's 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 towards the low end of the middle as far as I'm concerned. It definitely gives you a lot to, to, to think about. But, you know, I'd be surprised if you didn't come to the conclusion. Stop doing it. <laughs> Well, okay, so is that the message to you? The uh, message is... Well, I mean, that's certainly one of the messages. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the messages, yes. I mean, don't... I guess if you want to make it a grander message, don't get so locked into your beliefs that you'll let them destroy you. Yeah. Don't get so locked into what you want that you will let that destroy you. Because they're saying life is so precious to us that we have now made our planet unlivable. Okay, yeah. well, then... Some part of that is not working. So maybe that's a message. Although, yeah, I mean, if you just want to take it just right at face value, yeah, I would say the message is, you know, if you get to the point that you can't, you don't have room for one more person, don't make one more person. Yeah, I I like that. I mean, it's the people of Gideon are incredibly short sighted. And there are many things that that we do on 20th century, 21st century earth that are also very short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, we hold these values so important that we don't care about the future, you know, whether it's climate change or war or wh- whatever the, the big scary things that are, you know, can come down the road a decade, a half century, a century from now. Um, 
we're, we're sort of more interested in maintaining the, the present course and the present ideology uh, that we're unable to attack those problems at the root when they need to be attacked. As a piece of provocative science fiction, you know, answering the question whether or not the Mark of Gideon holds up, I, I kind of go back to the same idea to say, well, I, I really wish that it had spent more time actually investigating those topics, overpopulation, self-sacrifice, the, the horrible bureaucratic blundering, as you're saying, holding on to the narrow-sighted, short-term ideology that has gotten them into this terrible mess and the inability to break out of that narrow, short-term ideology. That's all fascinating stuff. Unfortunately, as an episode, though, it's, you know, 48 minutes of Kirk running around an empty enterprise going, where am I? Why doesn't this enterprise work? Where is everybody? And then Spock coming down saying, as a replica, let's leave. You know, <laughs> so it's um, so it's a badly structured show as a as a TV show. Um, but I, I like, as you do, Ken, that here's a uh, a mediocre to bad episode of Star Trek that gave us interesting things to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. There, there may actually be one other thing uh, to take from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a communicator. This was yeah, another thing please. that I was thinking about. It, this is something, this is an episode that literally, honestly, could not happen next generation because everybody has their communicator, you know, uh, tied to them mm-hmm. or attached to them. Um, it's sort of like we talked about with Miri, right? They snuck yeah. in, they stole all the communicators. Man, the guy who says, let's just sew these things onto you guys. <laughs> right. he, he should be remembered the way Jeffries is remembered for his tubing, you know? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, there's a Jeffrey tubing joke in there too, I think. I Although, like I guess if I knew who he was, that would probably be better. So, it sounds like our thoughts were a little bit all over the place on this episode. I'm curious about everybody else's thoughts uh, too. There are any number of ways that you can share those with us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Our handle is Mission Log Pod. You can uh, call us, 323-522-5641. That phone number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Uh, remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And do please check out our beautiful home, home on the web, uh, missionlogpodcast.com for all of your Mission Log podcast needs. Hey, Ken, you said future episodes of Mission Log, and that means that I get to uh, tell you what's next week. Next week, That Witch Survives. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Thinking about the crush of people on Gideon brings to mind one question. How can they whip cheese? That's for you Arthur Miller fans out there. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.